Welcome back to Never Ride Anything Comics Review Podcast. The comics podcast that takes a look under the drawing table and see what makes comics tick. Back this week by popular demand, well, me, I demanded, is the host of the excellent Mega City Book Club and editor of the charity fundraising anthology DUI. Um, DUI issue two, and in the future, issue three. Yes, it's Eamon Clark. How you been, man? Clark Life. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hi, Tony. How you doing? That was a reference to a hilarious conversation we had earlier in the week. Yeah, all the people will get that reference. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I said, who, yeah. who likes this? And you went, all the people, obviously. Yeah. Which was very witty of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like they used to shout that at Russell Brand gigs, didn't they? When he, he was, he'd sort of take a breath and someone in the audience would shout Park Life. <laughs> it's a great catch-all. You can get them all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you were more an Oasis guy. Well, do you know, the, the war, as you and I have been relitigating the Blur Oasis war, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not over for us old guys. We're still It'll never end. Yeah. yeah, Never end. No, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to go for Blur, honestly. Oh, yeah. Were you a Blur dude at yeah. the time, were you? I was, yeah. Oh, us Southerners, aren't we? You're, you're technically a Southerner. I'm classing you. Yeah, we're Southern. soft Southern. So we're soft Southern what's it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. We turned out badly for us, but there you go. Yeah. Um, good. So you've been busy reading comics? I've been reading a lot of comics, actually. Uh, mostly down to you and your podcasts. Oh, that's uh, nice. Person. Yeah. As Thank we you. were talking about off air, I've got the... I decided to subscribe to the Marvel and DC apps for a year and see if I get the money's worth. So I've been reading some old comics, um, a couple of which we'll mention as we go through tonight. But uh, yes. yeah, I've yeah. been... I've been catching up. Basically, never iron anything on the Awesome Comics podcast making me buy stuff. That's good. Always good to know, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you do the same to me, man. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, there's well, a few Condor-related products on their way to me, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that in a bit. But, um, yeah, no, but I really, I'm a convert to those two apps, I've got to tell you. Um, interestingly, I was listening to Perch the other day. And he, because oh, he's, right, he's an ex-retailer, yeah. or is, I don't know if he's going to be a new retailer or he's a current retailer, because he's a bit secretive what his real name is. But the um, he was saying he reckons day and date release on the apps will be May of next year. Oh. So that's oh, quick, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. That'll be quick. Yeah. I'm okay. not sure whether everyone quite knows that in comic shops, etc. but, you know. Well, yeah, that'd be a problem. Okay. Yeah, Mind you, having said that, uh, you know, the comics I read mainly on a regular basis are mostly digital there. So, yeah. 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 Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Good. Now this, I, I suggested something to you this week. It's um, <clears throat> something that's uh, come back round again. I'm using that phrase. There you go. It's a little reference to what you're about to say. Um, yeah. And it's a spiritual successor to a book that we have previously talked about and a creator who I've talked about with a couple of other guys previously as well. Did you want to say what we're going to talk about today? Amen? We are talking about a saucy hardback, uh, from Marvel Arts and Abrams Comic Arts, a collaboration. It is Fantastic Four, Full Circle, by Alex Ross, script and art by Alex Ross. Uh, do we, should we mention the other creators? Yeah, please do. Yeah. So it's got Colour and Assistance by Josh Johnson, lettered by Ariana Maher, uh, editors Martin Biro and Annalise Bisa, and then mainly Tom Breville is the editor who sort of like, I think, let him set him off on this. But it's mainly, this is an Alex Ross 
uh, passion project, I'm going to guess. Seems to be that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I know you and I have been reading quite a lot of interviews. Also, I noticed that the editors aren't given front and centre credit, I think, because I don't know why that is, you know, on the, the sort of credits page. They're a bit yeah. hidden, aren't they, as well? They're very small, yes, yeah. they are. Quite right, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, for those who don't know, Abrams Comic Art, this is a new project of theirs, um, the first one in a little imprint called the Marvel Arts Imprint. It's a subsidiary of a French publisher, if you didn't know that, Le Martinaire Group. There you go. Maybe I'll get to meet oh, them. Okay. It's quite interesting. Good. Did you? I think we'll maybe start off with a little summary, and then then I'll go in. I want to talk to you a bit about your sort of reading habits around this team. Um, could you give us a little summary of what happens? Just a very brief one, Eamon, if that was all right. Okay, so this is Full Circle is a direct sequel to the Fantastic Four uh, issue that you and I have previously done on this podcast. Episode 79. Uh, there you go. So yep. this is a direct sequel to episode 79, and the book is a direct sequel to issue 51 of the original Fantastic Four, This Man, This Monster. And basically, it starts with what appears to be the same character from that um, comic, the one who took on the identity or took on the shape of um, Ben Grimm, the thing. He turns up at the Baxter building again. Yeah. Um, except it's not him, and basically the Fantastic Four are going to have to travel to the negative zone yet again uh, and uncover what's going on and what's been attacking the Baxter building, and it all sort of goes on from there. So it's a negative zone adventure for the Fantastic Four. It is, as we say, it's a direct sequel to This Man, This Monster, featuring the yeah. same character, and we will find out what actually happened to that guy who was nameless at the time, but he's, he's, he was subsequently named as, is he Ricardo Jones? That's right. Yeah. 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 Since, yeah. There's, it's a strange one because his brother has appeared, believe it or not, in a web of Spider-Man issue. That's right. Yes. Which is a, strange, a strange one. Um, yeah. And we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, I've got a couple of things to say, and then we're going to, we're going to talk to Eamon about his habits, but we're going to, we're going to talk a bit about what Alex Ross talks about, the origins of this because it's quite a long-term origin with a couple of sort of little pushes here and there to get him started but also worth listening to if you're going to listen to you don't have to you can just listen to this one was in episode 112 i did a talk about alex ross in the um, marvels episode with with dave robertson and mike sadarkat um so because of that we're probably not going to take a deep dive into the background of alex ross i think you can go back we will be talking about him but you can go back and listen to that about him there's a couple of other books that he also mentions in relation to this as well, if you see um, Alex Ross interviewed. The first one being um, Fantastic Four Annual Number 6, which is another... It's the birth of Franklin Richards, to be fair, but it also features um, An Anelius... Anelius? Anelius? How do you say him? Anelius? That's how I Annihilus. Know. Annihilus, very done, yeah. Um, and the Supremely Beastly Borers, favourites of mine. Um, there you go. And there's also a little run in the um, the negative zone that features in I think it's about is it Fantastic Four hundred and five two hundred and eight something like that isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, a character. There's going to be a character turn up in this book who first appeared in one hundred and seven in That's that sort right. of negative zone run. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a sort of uh, you think he's going to be one of the main bad guys. He's not necessarily the main bad guy, but he appears in the middle of this book. And he first appeared in 107, Fantastic Four. Yeah. I and think... did you want to mention the other UK Oh, book? yes. 
Yeah, so there, we, we've been watching videos uh, on YouTube in yes. preparation for today, and there was um, Alex Ross was gifted, and this comes into a number of the art choices that he'll make later on. He got gifted a, either it was a hard cover, but if you check it and watch the video, it's actually a soft cover annual. Um, right. I'm guessing it came before, is it, it was not, it's before Marvel UK, I think, isn't it? Is that right? I think it's 1969. Yeah, so it is the original there. one. Um, I think it might have been reprinted, but it was 1969. Yeah. And uh, it's Fantastic Four, a full-colour album is the title of it. I looked at it on eBay, and it was a bit pricey, and was also it? I wasn't sure I was going to get here in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, I mean, the best, the best thing about it is that uh, they sent across the black and white art to the UK, yeah. Uh, and then they gave it to somebody to color it color it in for the publication and either through some weird printing or because whoever they gave it to had never seen an american comic um it's famous or infamous for its weird coloring choices in that book yeah it's sort of candy floss colors isn't it it's very yeah dr doom's sort of, in a red cape and stuff like that isn't yeah. It? And, yeah yeah and and ross looked at it and thought pop art i think from what he's saying we'll, we'll dig a bit a bit more into this in a minute but it, it, that highly influenced what he does in the book which uh i'm sure we'll get to in a minute but i just want to start man with your fantastic four reading habits now i'll tell you where i, I first read some of these stories but where, where did you first come across the ff uh so it would be marvel uk it was the marvel uk black and white reprints in the 70s that we talked about previously yeah um that led me to, you know, bit by bit over the sort of 70s and 80s to read all of the first 100 issues of the Kirby Stanley Fantastic Four yeah. because you've got to, haven't you? You've you got to, to read those You're not first a proper fan of issues. Read them, let's face it. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, so there was basically theirs in the 70s, black and white reprints, um, chopping them up into four or five bits, to, you know, pages to put into an anthology. Yeah. And then somehow or other, through all that, I managed to sort of piece together the first hundred issues and work out, you know, who they were fighting and everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I think I was a combination of Marvel UK. Um, the my father used to travel quite a lot for his work, and I remember him bringing me home the Treasuries of the Fantastic Four, which I think is where this man, this monster, I think may have been the first exposure I had to that one. Um, do you remember that one, dude? Do you remember those treasury? I do. Yeah. yeah, I remember because you talked about it before when we did this Madness Monster. Now that was, yeah, that was um, a big one for people that you know yeah. often given to you on a on a holiday or in the back of a car, wasn't it? Yeah, and then yeah. the Busema Synod that we were talking about earlier, where you know where they go back into negative zone. Um, I got a memory of that being in the back of um, Captain Britain Weekly. Right. Uh, they certainly did have the Fantastic Four in there, so you're probably right. Yeah, I think they probably did. Or was it Spider-Man Weekly? Something like that. Anyway, I remember it being in black and white, so it might ne not necessarily have been. Although they did, I'm sure it was in Captain Britain Weekly for a while. The Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. they famously had that page, didn't they, where they just left it black and white and said, "This is for you to color in." Do you remember that one? Yes, that's <laughs> <laughs> how generous of you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah good stuff, man. Um, Favourite character in the team, if you have to pick one out of the team? Oh, it's obviously The Thing. Yeah. It's obviously Ben Grimm, The Thing. I mean, he's your pick because yeah. he's your favourite Marvel character anyway. Um, I mean, based on this book and other books I've read uh, since, I would also closely 
followed by Sue Storm. You're a fan of Sue's, um, aren't you? Yeah, you were chatting about that. I am a fan of Sue Storm. I'm a fan of the fact that she seems to me to be the smartest member of the uh, Fantastic Four. Yeah, I'm I know you said this. And I, I'd like to caveat that. by To me, she seems like by far the most sensible. Exactly. She, yeah, exactly. apart from certain costume choices in the nineties, which I think were forced. Yeah, on well, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. apart from the boob window and the stripper, <laughs> the stripper legs and all that. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she always seems to be the most sensible one, and she has a great moment in the middle of this book that we might talk about. Um, she also has that great moment in Marvel Civil War by um, friend of the ACP, Mark Miller, um, yeah. where she turns up at one point and you know, with her force fields, just like stops everything and just says, you know. Yeah, stop this nonsense, you idiots! Yeah, like the, um, she's come out as been almost, I think, the most powerful member of the team. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah, mine's the thing. I've got um, one of those Bowen busks, busts. You know, right. so what would the thing do? I think is a little phrase I occasionally do. Occasionally mention what would Ben Grimm say. Um, if, if we all followed that, I think we'd be okay. Um, yeah. Apart from a couple of moments which we spotted him reading a porn magazine in a. Uh, a mid seventies uh, comic that I sent you a panel from today, um, but yeah. So okay, so interesting. So let's switch that and combine that. So what are your Alex Ross reading habits? So again, I read the compulsory ones because yeah. you have to read Marvels, which yeah. you talked about, as you know, with uh, as you say, half of that comic smell. Yeah, you have to read Kingdom Come. Yes, uh, and then you sort of. Um, well for me and then i just see him doing covers and um what we might call the sort of fine art end of comic book um characters yeah which obviously change hands for enormous amounts of money yeah i was checking on but, um, um, i was checking on a site today and it's um six figures a lot right yeah yeah but actually leave me cold as yeah. does his artwork, to be honest, on Marvels and Kingdom Come. Do you know, what, man? Um, that's incredible you said that because that's how I feel about it. I feel he's a bit too clinical. And previously, I, I maybe changed my mind about it here, but previously, to me, Kingdom, especially Marvels, is like little still photography taken throughout a story and put on a page. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting that he has changed his style sort of deliberately for this book. Yeah. Um, he's done something different, uh, you know, obviously there's the colouring choices, but he's changed his style for this book. And actually it gets nearer to what I would want to see in comic book art. Yeah, great. Um, the stuff in Marvels and Kingdom Come doesn't do it for me. It looks it looks very impressive. Yeah. Um it is, you know, it is approaching the photorealism that his later uh, superhero portraits or whatever you'd call them, his fine arts of yeah. Superman and Batman and so on approach. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't give me that comic thrill. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the same. It's um, I found him a little too glossy and un I, can't, I find his characters a bit a little bit too unrelatable to. I can't yeah. relate to them. I can't see past the... Isn't that clever, the way he's got the eyebrows done? And I found a lot of the men very samey, if I was honest. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah. I'm, he's, I'm, I mean, obviously, he's known for using uh, models for yeah. various characters and, you know, and, and doing poses and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I, I always thought, you know, I absolutely admired what he did. I yeah. thought it was stunning in the way that he achieves almost photorealism with paint. But at the same time, it never did it for me as comics. Yeah. And I don't really, I didn't, I never sought out anything else other than Marvels and Kingdom Come because everybody spoke about them and you had to read them. Yeah, um, I think Kingdom, I think Marvels for me was interesting because it, it took it so down to the street level looking up at characters and stuff you know yeah there was that there was a lovely framing and a lovely writing to it kingdom come not so much it had that sort of you know it's like a um a norse legend isn't it almost um quality to it yes um, and yeah. i think you're right i mean uncle sam i read i can't really remember much of it to be fair um and like you say our, the covers the covers Earth come and go. is the one that Earth people X. go on about a bit isn't it i've never read yeah. that yeah yeah. yeah, I've read little bits of it, and it didn't it didn't take me. But this one I found was different. I I found myself warming to it. I think more. Um, what about you? Yeah, no, I like this. I yeah. I think I probably will find out in a bit. But I think I probably like this more than you do. Um, <laughs> I I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Um, I liked what the fact that he changed his art. That his art has now become. Um, Less photorealistic, more dynamic, slightly more sense of movement in here. Uh, there are pages and double-page spreads where he is quite clearly homaging pages from FF51 and other pages from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. He recreates in one panel that wonderful moment of Ben Grimm standing in the rain, yeah. which is, you know, as we've discussed, is the single best uh, piece of comic art that ever existed. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think this is really good. I think I like this one. Um, I, the colouring choices are, are, are certainly out there. Um, yeah. It's pop art, it's psychedelic, it's candy floss in, in places. But yeah, I thought the artwork was much better. And I thought the Kirby pages that he does, where he goes full Kirby, I thought they were magnificent. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, man. I, I've, I have, I've had a bit of an up and down journey because it's rare that I'll read a graphic novel maybe four times, which is what I've done right. in preparation. I think I... I read it and then and I'm not far off what you're saying there. I'll be honest with you totally. I have I have one issue with it um which we'll talk about in a minute. Um Okay. Now, I suggested that for for a change I suggested this one to you. We were talking about different titles we might we might you might come on and have a chat about. Um and I said, "Well, what about this because we've done we've done 51 um this man this monster. So what about the sort of, you know, the return?" And um and you bought it digitally at that point but hadn't read it. Now, why did you buy it? Was it because of the the hype, or was it you thought you'd give it a go, or what? 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 What got you to press that button and buy it, man? It was because of the hype and the buzz that it was getting. Yeah, yeah, the same as me. And yeah, I think you know it was. I think it's still about twelve quid digitally on the Kindle and the Comixology, which is where I got it originally. I've now actually bought the hardback because I was in Forbidden Planet last week, yes. and Forbidden Planet had it at £2 off the cover price of seventeen ninety nine. So um, I think it was the hype about it. The people were saying, oh, this is, you know, Alex Ross's love letter to the Fantastic Four, yeah. to Kirby and Lee, you know, Lee and Kirby from the 60s, um, which I think it is. I think it is, you know, I think yeah. you can justify that tagline. Um, so I bought it digitally, and then I think... It was still sitting there on the iPad for a day or two, and then you mentioned it on the uh, the Awesome Comic Podcast Slack, I think, and then I dived in, and oh, cool. uh, 
I was really glad I did actually because I really enjoyed the story. And yeah. I thought the artwork, as I say, was a real sort of um, return to comic book art for me. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to that. I think that's likely to come up now. Now we we've been backwards and forwardsing a bit about it, and um, we've all, we've all watched. The, Alex Ross has got quite an active um, YouTube channel where you can watch him draw, and you can watch him draw some of this as well. Now, yeah. for me, what, the big difference for me is. Alex Ross in the most draws with paint. So shapes and features and buildings and whatever it's going to be come through a line of color. But for me on this, what he's doing, he's using, he's doing the traditional comics thing of using a black line as an outline. Yes. Which I think is why I warm to it a bit more in a way, funny enough, you know? And even on the first few pages where you've got Ben Grimm, Trying to make himself this Dagwood sandwich in the Baxter <laughs> yeah. building before before all hell kicks off, you can see that there's actually he's got line work in there. He's got an awful lot of there's cross hatching, there's shading and stuff going on yeah. before he even gets to the paints and the you know the colours. Um, so I think yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why this looks more like a comic book to me than some of his previous stuff. Yeah, and for those who haven't seen it yet. Um... I, I I I held out. I think what happened is I hadn't been in the comic shop. I'd missed the Wednesday, and I presumed <gasps> that, that I know they must have they must have set out an alert. Yeah, they were worried about their mortgage that week. Um, <laughs> the uh, so um, I I thought I'd missed out on it. So I had a quick look online to try and find it, and I, it was sold out. And I think there was some people selling it on eBay for too much. I thought no, I'm not doing that. Um, and then I went into I went into Gosh the following week, and they had a copy. So I was I was fortunate. So I bought it off the back of what I heard. I think at 11 o'clock we're talking about it. A few people were talking about the buzz on it. I thought, all right, I should get on this. Um, and I hadn't heard the hook. I hadn't heard the appearance of Ricardo Jones. Um, right. So it was a nice surprise for me. Had you heard? Uh, I, th I think I'd heard it was a sequel to fifth, you know, 51. I think right. I'd heard it was a sequel to uh, uh, This Man, This Monster. Um, yeah. So yeah, I knew that you know it was gonna, it was likely to come up, and it starts in a very similar fashion. Um, uh, there's a figure standing in the rain. It's a different figure standing. In the yeah, rain. it's clever that. But, isn't yeah, it? yeah, and it's, yeah. It's, it's such a lovely page. That first page, I really do like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, for those who haven't seen it, as I was getting to the, it's um, Bond SNA format. Um, now, which is interesting to me because it's it's a, it's kind of a although with a dust jacket. It's a hardcover, oversized hardcover. Now, one of the um, best interviews you can find for Alex Ross is on something called the the Treasury Cast, um, which is um, him talking with a dude who loves talking about Treasury editions um, and how they oh, wish right. they okay. the sides of it. Yeah, and if you ever if you ever hear one of those interviews with Alex Ross where he talks about who his favorite creators are, who, what his favorite comic is, his favorite comic um, ever is Spider Man versus Superman, which is a Treasury right. edition. Um, art by Ross Andrew, um, and I think it's nice to see that that's the way they went with it. I actually think maybe Marvel probably couldn't afford him, which is the reason he's got involved with this Abrams Arts thing. I'm, I'm guessing, you know. Um, well, there's an interesting bit of sort of, you know, because it took a while for this to happen. Yeah, and there were various suggestions of you know who he might work with before he finally did it by himself, wasn't there? Yeah, so. The original story goes that post-Marvels, Tom DeFalco, who is named and not named, depending on which podcast you listen to, some of them they sort of refer to him as the editor approaches him. And I think sometimes he says, oh, 
he just says, oh, it's Dom DeFalco. You can work it out from the time, you know. Um, yeah. Approached him post-Marvels and said, um, how about doing something with Stan? Um, now, at this point, he DeFalco, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time, didn't know that he'd intended to go over and do Kingdom Come with Mark Wade. Um, so he was looking to keep him on board at Marvel. And the thoughts were that he would do a continuation of a Stan book and then Stan would come in and dialogue it. And that never happened. Um, but th- that's maybe what started the thoughts he was having about doing a continuation to 51. Um, is that how you heard it, man? Yeah, I think that was that. That was right, yes. That, you know, that he might do it with Stan. Um, there was talk that he might, as you say, do it as a sort of new a new run of Fantastic Four. Yeah. Because uh, he, he wanted to do the Fantastic Four, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Um, and I suspect, I don't know, I, I don't know how long this one took him because I would suspect if you were the editor, you'd probably be thinking that we're going we're gonna to have deadline problems with that, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, I think he says this in is... one interview he's doing 10 pages a month. Right. Okay. Which I actually thought was quite fast for him, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suspect he probably couldn't keep up the deadline of a monthly comic, do you? No, no, he couldn't. No, yeah. he could do the covers. That would be it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but there was a discussion. It was considered, according to him. I think this is this Treasury cast again, or might have been. What was the other one you and I listened to? Um, off panel. Off panel. Yeah, yeah. It might have been off panel where he was talking about this, and he was saying um, he he wanted to do it, and there was a consideration for him to do it. But the person who had the reboot of the Fantastic Four at the time, whenever this was being considered. Um, had it written into his contract that he would be allowed to write the Fantastic Four. Um, right. Now, I'm not sure who that is. I don't know who that is. I'm guessing Dan Slott, but I don't know from a sort of timing. Well, wise. it would fit in with the timing, yeah. wouldn't it? Um, um, because, you know, famously, there was no Fantastic Four comic for about three years, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, because they didn't have, famously didn't have the the movie rights, I think, basically. Was yes. that, is that right? Yeah, it was something complicated about the movie rights and trying to get the movie rights to lapse back to Marvel from yeah. Fox or Sony. Is it Fox? I can't remember. It was the um, one that um, the one that uh, failed, wasn't it? The the not the not the two ones, but the the other one, which was a bit a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Do you remember? Yeah, the more recent one, which had Michael B. George. That's the one. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That one didn't work at all, did it? No. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it's. I mean, it's astonishing that with all the Marvel movies they've made, we still don't have a decent Fantastic Four movie. It's amazing, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he it was with him for a while, as I understand it, and then he tried to do it as a monthly. He didn't, and then this arrangement came up with Abrams um, as a sort of new project. And I've heard I've heard Alex Ross say both things. I've heard him say he's referred to them. And he's also referred to Abrams Art as us. So I'm not sure if oh, okay. he's got some kind of advisor role with them or something at the very least. Because this is kind of... He he refers to it... Um, you know, you've got those new Batman books, the hardback, you know, the famous one we could see is Knob, that one. Those sort of... Oh, yeah. He's, he, he compares it... What's it called again? Oh, I'm going to remember the name of it now. Um, anyway. No, no, it's gone. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's um, it, this is like kind of their Marvel's version of it, and there will be more coming. Um, and he he's on board with it, which I think is a good idea. Um, I can only imagine yeah, the foreign I, rights must be great for it, you know. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's a it's a lovely looking thing, and if there's more Marvel arts books coming like this, 
And yeah, you can imagine in Europe, these would sell brilliantly because they're just the right size and format. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, for the shelf. Yeah. He's, um, he said, um, a couple of quotes from him, he said, the FF as a property isn't going to get experimented on it like this in a monthly format, which I think he's right. Um, there's just not the time is there for it. Um, and- no, but we could talk at the end of this episode about more recent Fantastic Four issue one. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Was it the text I sent you? It's got a nice cover. Yeah, it's got a yeah. great cover <laughs> yeah. by yeah. Alex Ross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. On that Treasury cast, by the way, just incidentally, while he's talking, he's drinking out of a, uh, a Master of Kung, old school Master of Kung Fu glass tumbler. So I thought, ah. Oh. I'm on board He's with you, my friend. Back in Tony Esmond's good books now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, anyone who knows or who's seen any kind of video with Alex Ross knows that he's like a super fan. He's basically got a room full of statues and mannequins, isn't he? Um, he's, he has. And he's also, because watching some of the videos on his channel of him inking this stuff, um, it's amazing that he's his setup still looks like he's got a board held in one hand and a messy um, desk that he doesn't look like he put the board down on the world's yeah. messiest desk um, yeah <laughs> it's astonishing you know here he is one of the world's most sought after comic book cover artists or you know illustration artists yeah. and he's got the world's messiest desk it's fantastic i really like i love that I yeah i really like that stuff. yeah and he yeah. sort of because he we'll, we'll get to his process but he has to almost hold a photograph in one hand while he's painting with the other he hasn't even got exactly. like some kind of sort of elaborate clipping system where you can hold it up in front of him you know or is it no. with his money he could probably manufacture a robot that could carry it around for him you know is that sort of thing and yeah um, yeah. A Herbie, even a Herbie. Yeah, he could have the robot from the Fantastic Four cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of which there are three different versions in this. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So what they what you've got is you've got two versions of Herbie, but you've also got the version that was the original design by Kirby. As oh, well, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, how oh, cool right. is that? That's very cool. Um, well spotted. Thank you. Um, yeah. So let's go back a bit to his art and um, and talk about where it is i mean i sent you some a very basic um way sort of brain dump that to me he's he's the the joining of three he's he's got three parents one being kirby obviously but one being neil adams and one being robert mcginnis um for me but there's so so overwhelmingly adams points in this aren't there you know how do you feel well, about Simon? I was fascinated by hearing him talk about Kirby and Adams and yeah. how he summarized it as Kirby is abstraction. He, you know, as Kirby develops, he becomes abstract in his art. Yeah. Whereas Neil Adams, um, as expressed by Alex Ross, Neil Adams is more the realistic uh, artist. And he says that this this book is a sort of, somewhere between the two he's putting them his art somewhere between kirby and neil adams robert mcginnis is an interesting one that you brought into the conversation does he mention him he doesn't know i just kind of he's got that sort of heroic thing going on and the pulp you know the pulp paperback cover artist to end all um, yeah. paperback cover artist robert mcginnis so that, that was an interesting one that you brought in i'd noted um this thing from Scott McLeod's Understanding Comics. Um, yeah. There you go, take a drink. Um, <laughs> where McLeod, in one of the early chapters, um, does this sort of 
progression in artwork from the ultra photo realistic at one end of the scale to the emoji, just a simple smiley face at the other end of the scale. And he interestingly says, you know, when in comic book art, when we abstract from the realistic, we can add meaning. And that's what I thought was happening here with um, Alex Ross's art is that, you know, the stuff that leaves me cold, particularly those heroic posed um, big art pieces of DC heroes that you see in his booth at the Comic-Cons is almost at the ultra realistic, you know, it looks like a photo of the actor wearing the suit. Yeah. Um, And here he's moved more towards comic book abstraction and yeah. as a result i think it's more dynamic i think it's got more meaning i think it suits the characters much better much um, more energy man i think as well much more play. energy in this yeah. book so much energy some of it is black light energy there may be other psychedelic yeah. uh, energies <laughs> that you might get from from this book uh, but yeah that that was it for me but you know yeah. as you say he puts himself between kirby and neil adams you've added robert mcginnis to the mix which is interesting and I've added the smiley face emoji, so you know. <laughs> yeah, we're we're there somewhere. I think the thing I've heard him refer to it as um, I heard him talking about his reverence for Neil Adams as Neil Adams possessing a dynamic interpretation of realism, which right. I kind of I really like that phrase. In fact, I was stuck it on a post-it note in my 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 notebook, so I just really like it. And there we go. That's yeah. what we want: a dynamic we want. expression of realism. There you go. Um, and there I you think are. you're right, man. When Sometimes when I see, especially weirdly, especially his Batman and Spider Man, it, it, it feels too much like an actor in a costume for me. Yeah, um, and I can see the models. Yes, yeah. Well, that's yeah. where I was going with that man. Exactly. Yeah. So, for famously for this, and he talks quite openly about it. It's no secret. He he does use a lot of models. Um, he he takes pictures of himself doing stuff. But for this, he actually had a full size thing head, I believe built yeah. um um i mean fucking hell how if you're an artist you'd want to draw the thing would you not properly no. anyway, you know well that's always the thing about the thing is you wouldn't want to draw him repeatedly to panel after panel and actually at one point in this book because reed richards has to give them new suits to go into the negative zone you think he'd almost give himself an excuse to put the thing in a, a yeah you know, covering up suit but again that you know ben grimm says the joke i'm oh, still the shorts for me is it <laughs> yeah, yeah i know yeah it's it, that's the problem with him though he's he's the worst person to draw and the best person to write that's right. how i see him and i think ross almost says that a couple of times he's he says an absolute joy you know i think on that off panel i think the dude says to him you know did you have to you know try and get into sort of a certain kind of vernacular with with ben and he says no i hear him and we all anyone right. who's read as many Ben Grimm thing, Fantastic Four, Avengers, whatever it's going to be, comics, two and ones. We hear his voice, don't we? Yeah. 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 Um, and we hear we hear Jack Kirby's voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the old, it's Jack, isn't it? That's kind it's of. It's Jack. Yeah. I mean, they even give that in that, that um, uh, what if issue that, that Kirby draws. He draws himself as the thing, doesn't he? But smoking yeah. a cigar and with different eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in this, he, uh, he actually made dolls as well with actual fabric costumes. Um, and he, he talks a lot about the sort of the fabric of these costumes being 
they look to me like a bit a little bit lost in space season one that's where i'm going right. with it um that's nice and we'll, we'll go with that you're a lost in space fan absolutely yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. the black and white season was the best one for me before they started the, the original, carrots or something the original yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. not uh, the one with joey from friends in. oh fuck that um, yeah yeah <laughs> i haven't even tried the new one yeah unless he's got danger will robinson and that weird doctor arguing with a child i'm not watching it yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah um and so he actually made these things so that he, he wanted to know how the fabric looked and, that, and that's good and and the faces of the models he uses a lot, which I'm going to say is good and occasionally not so good. Right. Because I think occasionally the faces are a little too static for me in this. Okay. Yeah. You, you don't agree? Well, I think, well, yes, I think so. But I think in, you know, in a comic book, um, what your favourite Steve Dillon quote, you know, if you're spending your yeah. time concentrating on the art, he's not done his job. It doesn't and apply in a comic here, does it? Book, <laughs> yeah, let's face it. Yeah. Well, yeah. in a comic book, yeah. um, we know that in certain panels, our favourite characters might look a bit different because, you know, they didn't quite catch it in that panel or they were rushing on that panel or whatever. And I think, again, that, that adds to the comic book feel for me of this. I do think at the moment, at the times, there are moments when the FF are sort of posed and you think, oh, yeah, again, I can see the model. I can see yeah. the, the little doll pose um but there's also great moments of them in action that i think work when they're yeah. using their powers um they, they're constantly falling towards uh stuff in the negative zone which is great yeah um yeah. and they use a variety of their powers in order to sort of slow down their descent in various in various ways um i love all that but there are moments when you see their faces and you think oh yeah i can i can see the little pose doll there or the the picture or whatever I think so, man. Um, he talks a bit about who he used as a sort of inspiration for Reed as well, and it's a guy called Steve Burton, who was one of the lead characters in Land of the Giants. Um, oh, right. There yeah. we go. There's another Irwin Allen TV yeah. series that we love. Yeah, there you, you go. Me. In fact, there's a little there bit of Irwin Allen That's one for the kids, this, that one, yeah, isn't it? Land of the Giants. Yeah. For the millennials. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, um, Kayfabe did a, an episode on it as well, and they... I get a sense. I love the kayfabe guys. I, I love their videos. I think they're great. There's nothing more positive for comics than those guys. But the, I find I, I'm not sure if they're quite uh, on side with Ross as much as maybe some other um, artists. And they point right. out a few things. There's a scene where um, the Fantastic Four are all running and they're getting changed into these costumes as they run. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've got that page in front of you. Um, I have because I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Now look at their legs. They're all on the same leg. Uh, yeah. Just and they, he says that that's too posed, and I kind of agree there. Um, apart from the thing isn't, but the the three in the costume. The thing, yeah. Ben is on is on is on his own, but the other three are in identical poses, unfortunately. Yeah. And now you've pointed it out to me. I think, oh yeah, that's a that was a mistake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's not to retract from it, man. I'm not. I'm still. It's still one of my books of the year. This genuinely, I think. I think um, I gave you a little hint about something I was unhappy with, and I and it's not that. Um, okay. And I, I think there's a characterization possibly. Well, yeah. there's something, but the I, I, I should do, just mention on the next page from that one. Yeah, you've got Kirby Crackle. Yes. Yeah, and the homages to Kirby in this are just beautiful, and they're yes, they're done to me. They're done with real reverence, as as usual. Yeah. Again, do you, do you think so? Do you you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's 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 double page spreads. 
where Alex Ross just pours on the Kirby, the page where they're invisible because a nihilist is is consuming his yeah. lunch of negative zone creatures is just the purest um, Kirby that you yeah. will ever see uh, done by another artist. Um, yeah, I mean that, that I, page, know, the, the the way that Kirby used to just every issue have a couple of those big double page spreads, especially in his new gods and his return to Marvel stuff, Eternals and stuff was just amazing to me. And that, yeah. that, you know, when he does those quite, um, different for, you know, when we, when you see a double page spread in a comic these days, it's normally a shot of the whole team or just the Hulk punching one thing, but these are done with such imagination and they're sort of one side loaded. So that an Annihilus page, it's sort of right side loaded, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, and it, it's almost too close to the camera for you to work it out as soon as you turn the page because my eye goes straight to his bottom jaw there when the page yes. turns which is that theory isn't it about the cross on the page and the middle bit being where your eyes are drawn to and then you have to sort of look up and you realize what it is and it's just so cleverly done you know um you almost have to pull yourself back into the different time zone that kirby yeah uh, kirby's images were in yeah yeah, yeah. um and the detail the, there's some phenomenal detail in this isn't there there's there's, if you go a few pages onwards, you've got a page that's got, what, 50 characters or something on it? You know, 50 different floating heads. There's know. a page full of negative zone monsters, which looks like some of them must be references to sci-fi I'm, movies and previous Marvel monster comics, I'm guessing. I'm guessing there must be, man, yeah. Yeah. Um, and A few it, pages before that, there's the when they first arrive in the negative zone and Alex Ross um, sort of recreates... Oh, yeah. one of Kirby's collage images and uh, Reed Richards, who just can't help himself from being an ass, says, you know, welcome to the crossroads of infinity. And Ben says, you know, knock it off, will you? I want yeah, to yeah. vomit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is lovely, actually. I do love that. And I, I, I'm i a big admirer of that, especially um, as a kid and reading the Fantastic Four and thinking, what's this? And it, to me, it was almost like a world of art was opening up. I know comics are art, yeah, don't write in. But, you know, a world of a different world of art was including itself into comics. And it was, it blew my mind. And I think when you think about when Kirby was doing this, the, the sort of the music scene at the very least and the movie scene maybe was full of images like that. And he was taking everything, wasn't he? Um, well, we talked about this last time. That moment when an artist or a writer realises that they've mastered their... Um, initial craft and then they're deciding to push it yeah um i was i mean i think of that scene from the movie the commitments where the guy learning to play the saxophone and you know at the start they're all learning to play their instruments <laughs> yeah and when the guy finally masters the saxophone and suddenly realizes he can you know push this stuff um is interesting and i always thought think about that for kirby yeah kirby's like gone him. a bit jazz hasn't he you know yeah yeah Kirby went psychedelic acid jazz and his artwork exploded and Alex Ross um, revisits that, homages that and does it with the psychedelic colours. With I And mean, the other thing we should mention is the blacklight posters. Yeah. And yeah. when Marvel did a run of blacklight posters and artwork, didn't they? And, and yeah. this, again, he's borrowed from that. Um, I haven't shone a neat UV light on these pages, but, you know, I don't. Um, I don't hear, man. You know. Yeah. Well, no. True. Yes, of course. <laughs> but uh, funny enough, I know that Jim Rugg was saying this should be a Blacklight comic because obviously yeah. he did that Blacklight comic before, didn't he? Um, he did. Yeah. That's yeah. True, so that's, yes. a, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, interesting enough. Um, 
when uh, John Buscema took over from Kirby and and, and um, in the early hundreds, and he he was on that run we were talking about earlier, uh, it was 107 or 106. Um, if you read through that run to I think 110, Buscema and Sinot use a collage in that as well to right. reference the return to the negative zone um, uh, okay. with a moment with um, Reed Richards. And I thought, I actually actually began to think whether it was perhaps Sinnott who was leading the charge on that, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I guess it was Kirby and they were just homaging or, you know, they wanted to, to, to keep it in. Because it's very Kirby, you know, especially with the Sinnott inks over Busima. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Kirby is, as we all know, he is... Uh, and always will be the king and um people like Busema and Sinot and here Alex Ross um, yeah. you know rightly paying tribute to him yeah and I then mean, you know doing something interesting as a result as well yeah yeah and i think it, um uh, ross does give a little homage to he mentions Busema and he says look i i love kirby you know kirby, for me and probably for ross you know kirby's the person to draw the thing you know if you could have a thing yeah. by someone it would be you know Kirby then for me Kirby then Busima then probably Milgram you know right. um uh, but the for for this it's he said he wanted a bit of the personality that Busima injected into the thing um he was a little bit more sort of malleable in the face I suppose his face moved a bit more than it did with Kirby which is interesting um because his thing is the most beautiful just you could I'll just read a comic just full of talking heads with this thing in it it's just beautiful isn't it you know it is yes yeah it is a stunning piece of work yeah and again ben grimm uh talking ben grimm cursing and uh <laughs> telling off reed richards ben grimm making a sandwich you know? oh, yeah yeah i'd read we'd read that comic <laughs> we would yeah i even looked up the dagwood sandwich that he made um dagwood, comic book reference yeah it comes from a, a, a character called dagwood who appeared in uh a blondie the comic strip blondie and he would always make these massive sandwiches um, and that's what he's making is his Agwood sandwich. Yeah, apparently even Alex Ross experimented to see how much meat and cheese and stuff you could hold in your hands before drawing it. He recreated the sandwich. Yeah, yeah, oh. that's great. And he even recreated that bit where he sort of we've all done it. We're all in our kitchen. We all know where the knives are. You know the jam is. You know when you know. I always think it's the Fantastic Four equivalent of Morecambe and Wise when they do that skit in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. Um, but yeah, oh, so amazing, man. Um, cool. So let's get to the the point I was going to bring up here then. Okay, yeah. here we go. For me, this so the ex, the art trumps the story for me on this. Right. Um, I do. I do think it's a good story, but the art is what makes it a magnificent book. So using that as the basis of my my uh, my theory did we really need to go back and muddy the waters of 51 by making him be alive because at the end of 51 he gives up his life is that the final thing he does to save reed richards a good man he does it did we need him back so his sacrifice at the end of yeah. 51 still still remains. Okay. Because as far as he's concerned, he's dying. He doesn't know that he's going to arrive on the negative earth and actually survive the fall, survive the contact and whatever, yeah. and then go on to become that world's Reed Richards, in effect. Yeah. 
and you know we were talking about it off air they sort of he has uh inspired or put together a sort of fantastic fall for this negative earth yeah um and he's doing good things as a result of meeting reed richards and also we know he's doing good things because in part he was uh for a while he was ben grimm you know he was somehow some i think it says in 51 doesn't it reed richards says you know some part of you sort of rubbed off on it ben yeah um so yeah okay i i understand you know marvel well all comic books bring back the dead you know nobody stays dead apart from uncle ben um uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's just Uncle Ben, isn't it? It's, it's the now, only one it used to be Bucky, of. isn't it? But it's not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not Bucky. It's not Gwen Stacy. They've all been brought back. Um, so only Uncle Ben remains dead. Um, you know, so I suppose inevitably that you know you could have the Ricardo Jones character was actually he survived it, uh, but he still intended to die. He thought he, he well, he thought he was dying. Yeah, so and he made, course, he he made the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, but that's and then he, okay. He, sorry, Megan. No, I was going to say, then he ends up on this negative earth and he becomes that world's Reed Richards in a way. Yeah, so that's fine. And I get, Grimm. I get what you're saying. He's he's not died and he's made up for it and, and ended up on this earth, you know, and his, his actions have still been, you know, the generous, you know, moments of a man who thought he was going to die. However, mm. it doesn't work that way for the reader. The reader has an impact where we thought he died Um. And now he's back. And in a way, it reminds me a bit of when George Lucas sold the rights to Yoda and he started appearing in Vodafone adverts. Not quite as bad. I'm over-exaggerating that part. But (laughs) do you know what I mean? It's like, that was a beautiful moment. I mean, I remember reading it as a kid. I can can still see those panels and them standing on the rock, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But is... Okay, so if if we accept your side of things and then we say yes okay that's fine you know because of the impact of the death is still of the possible death is still there but is it the ultimate hubris for alex ross i think maybe i'm slightly pushed into this theory by the fact that whenever i see uh, him at new york comic con there seems to be sort of a bunch of people standing around dressed smartly around a very sort of super professional table you know stall with all you know hanging walls and all this sort of thing but is this the ultimate hubris of an artist who perhaps should have left it alone and just done something else? Um, th- oh, well, this is a really tricky sort of moral and ethical point, isn't it? Yeah. Do you leave? Do you leave the masterpiece untouched? And it's 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 um, it's, it's, it's it's filtered through my emotions of the moment of reading it as a kid, you know. So it's it's not by no means scientific, you know. I can be argued yeah. out, of it, you know. Yeah, I mean. I'm trying to think of other comic book equivalents for me, you know, that would be besmirched if somebody went back and undid them or... I mean, um, now, for example, if this character started appearing in the monthly comic now, how would you feel? uh, Well, I'd rather he appeared in the new FF issue one than... (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, yeah. The story, yeah. Yeah. Um, You see, I wouldn't mind it, Tony. I think I would be all right with it. Yeah, you're a much more reasonable person than me, clearly. Yeah, you are. Well, 
I, I mean, I, I've described this, you know, you and I've described this as Alex Ross's love letter to Lee and Kirby, the 60s. Totally. And Fantastic Four, 51. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think he uses that love letter and sort of does a sort of what if scenario. Um, because, you know, does is this canon? We don't know if this is canon or not. Yeah. Um, but he does this what if scenario. What if Ricardo Jones survived? rather than died at the end of 51 as he, you know, he thought he was going to. Yeah. Um, and what if he created his own Fantastic Four on this negative earth and became a force for good? Um, yeah, I can see your point, Tony. You know, there are there are bits of comic lore and story that I would be upset to go back and see yeah. altered and changed, I suppose. And I know that those panels from the last couple of pages of 51, I've sort of burnt on your retina, you know, they, they occupy parts of your brain yeah. forever. Yeah. I think, um, I think we're lucky that he did it. I think that's yes. a, a big plus. If it had been someone else, <laughs> Ryan North, if it had been someone else, um, I would have go, fuck me, what's going on here? You know? Right. But because it's Alec Ross, it's an event. I find it more, more palatable. Um, but I think the question remains... It's something that's bothered me a bit, um, but I found it enjoyable that he appeared on a sort of instant emotional level whilst reading it. Um, you know, that dopamine hit of going, oh, look, who it is. You it's know? him. Yeah, because he's got such a recognisable face. As soon as they peel back that sort of cloak, you know it's him, don't you? You know The brow, the, the ridge of the brow yeah. is, is Just, obviously him. Coincidentally, he looks like a fleshy version of the thing, as we mentioned on the, the previous episode, but... Um, yeah, slight skeletal resemblance, as he said in Fantastic Four yes, Fifty One. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're more fortunate that it's him. I think there's some some situations and creators and the way it's presented where I would be not accepting of it in the slightest. Um, but it doesn't come across as cheap. Um, no, I don't think it does. I think yeah. it works for me. I might mention that it also does that thing that you and I have talked about in other comics um, off air, which is um, a sort of modern trend where um, I'm thinking of Superman, Son of Carlyle. Okay. And also, also Nightwing, yep. which is, you know, a great monthly comic, yep. where the characters have stopped just being people who hit other people, you know, just like big blokes thumping each other. Yeah. And actually start to become forces for good in their community, in their society. Okay. And I like seeing Ricardo Jones and his Fantastic Four being a force for good on the negative earth. And then I like the fact that Reed Richards and the real Fantastic Four turn up and they also make things better. Yeah. They, you know, they help. Um, and there's a couple of nice powerful. moments there when he says, "Like, what is your yeah. name? What is your name?" He says that to him, yes. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it did smack when, a bit yeah, of Astro when City when they ran out, though. I did think, "Oh, is this Astro City?" Um, it looks like because... some Astro City characters, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I'm in. I, I've actually. I think I said I've read this four times. First time I read it, I loved it. Second time, eh. third time I loved it. Fourth time I went, "Hang on, am I happy about this?" And I'm still questioning myself now about it. Um, right, but it's still easily top five books of the year for me. Um, and it, and we've yeah. still got the luxuriant art to just like wonder about, yeah, and just look, but you know, look at some of the pages and just say, Wow, that is just incredible! Oh, yeah. yeah, how on earth has he done that? 
um yeah okay um but okay i take your point about you know does it diminish the huge emotional impact of the end of fantastic Four yeah. Fifty One? yeah and i think i'm gonna say that remain that remains to be seen over to you marvel if you put him okay. in, if you bring him back and give him his own mini series and you know then i won't be yeah. pleased but at the moment i'm okay with it i think um let me just move on then to the the follow-up to that question how do you feel about the spoilers by the way anyone who's listening how do you feel about the the last it's almost a sentiment almost a statement of almost like a theory of half emotional half scientific theory of reads at the end that that is there's somehow there's a guiding hand over them it's almost like a quasi-religious moment isn't it in a way how did that did that hit you at all um i'm looking at the the last page now yeah um I mean, the thing is that I've always found Reed Richards to be a bit of a knob. Uh, he's <laughs> he's always, very much of a... Sue, could you put the kettle on? He's a bit like that, isn't he? Yeah. He's yeah. always annoying. And so when he's pontificating at the end of this book and saying, you know, where, what, what was this manifestation of our darkest fears? Is there a guiding hand? Is there something yeah. bigger at play? Um, I just saw that, actually, I saw that partly as Reed Richards just doing his usual psychobabble nonsense, but also partly Alex Ross maybe teasing that, you know, there might be more to come. He might have another another one of these albums yeah. up, up his sleeve. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Because I thought it was an homage to Stan. Right. It was where I went. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. To I Stan's, didn't... yeah, to Stan's style of writing. Because, I mean... The voice, but also that he's the guiding hand. If you see what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like Stan, the great, the great writer who just like you know dictated (laughs) what these characters did. Go back and listen to our Stan episode, and you'll appreciate where we're coming from with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We love Stan. We love we love Kirby even more. But exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's a strange one. Yeah, is it is an interesting one? Almost like an almost tagged on at the end as well. Yeah. Um. I was probably ready for the end credits at that point. So I think I, I was too, man. I sort of, I, I sort of glossed over it on the first read, and I went back to it because I sort of read it late at night. and I was a bit tired, and I actually went back to it and went, and then realised what was going on at the end when I reread it, which is a weird one. Um, yeah. Good. Um, I mean, you know, a page earlier when Johnny Storm says to the thing, you know, you changed that man's life for the be- for the better. Yeah, um, and then he Ben says, well, "Are you surprised? I'm a great guy." And they will walk off with his arm at his yeah. shoulder. That, Should have been done. Like, done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree, man. It's a bit like the end of those those bloody Lord of the Rings movie, the last one, where we just get a close up of the Hobbit's eyes for about twenty five minutes at the end, and I'm like, "Come on, let's get it over with. I need to go." Was that yeah. was that the seventh ending or the eighth ending? I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just get on the boat. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember a mate of mine saying, "Oh, well, it's not like that in the novel." I said, "They don't close up on eyes in the novel." Twenty five minutes. Anyway, yeah. off the subject. But yeah, I think it's right. Um, the I think before we before we we we've gone long a bit, but the I think the thing was we also need to talk about is the coloring in this. The coloring is 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 incredible. Um, yeah. designed um, by um, Alex Ross, who would send bits of paper with the colour on to the colourist and say, this is what we need. Right. So he's very much leading him through it. Not that the colourist doesn't do a superb job, because he does. Lots of... I, I know I would pick out pages that have lots of purple on or lots of yellow on or something like that, but it seems to be all over the place. And what they he does is he 
he he it's very densely colored uh, points and then sometimes there'll be just little bits which don't have any color in almost feeling like just purples you know especially the the shot at the start where you've got um the shot of the apartment and it's it's it looks like first it looks like an apartment out of mad men but it's done yeah. almost in like a light purple sheen almost isn't it with glowing yellow and stuff it's so beautiful to look at um what do you think man yeah i mean it's astonishing the color is astonishing this is absolute feast for the eyes i mean you know if you haven't got hold of this book yet you should get it because it is just a wonder and it's funny as you say it's gonna be one of the books of the year yeah um but the coloring is in places is spectacular in places it's sort of stripped back a bit yeah um or you get just one color predominating but it's just you know it's astonishing yeah um yeah. it is psychedelic it makes me I mean, we didn't really get time to do this, but it makes me think that this book is set in the late 60s, early yeah. 70s. That's how I feel um, about it, yeah. Yeah, and it, there's just that slight anachronistic mention of Ridley Scott at one point where they're talking about <laughs> the alien creatures, and I didn't I didn't like that. I didn't want that. I wanted it set in the 60s. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, colouring is uh, astonishing. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think... I think this is often discussed, isn't it, in message boards about MCU stuff, is if they're going to do an FF movie, it needs to be set then. Yeah. It's the prime yeah. time. I don't want them... You know, when 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 Reed Richards takes a mobile phone out of his pocket, I don't want it to be a mobile phone. I want it to be some amazing space device that he's invented, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, got to be, it's got to be, you know, space stuff that he's invented, yeah. Yeah. Um, give us another one of these albums in a, in a, in a couple of years' time with the Fantastic Four in the 60s as drawn by and coloured by Alex Ross and uh, Josh Johnson, and I'll be happy. Yeah. I mean, is there anyone else you'd like to see them tackle? I mean, Challenge of the Unknown, let's take that off the table because it's a kind of FF book, isn't it? But is, is there anything that else you'd like him to treat like this? Um, Doctor Strange. That's a good one, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Strange and the Mystical Planes, I guess, would be the answer. Yeah, I think the Hulk's yeah. too easy an option, isn't it? Because it'll just be pages full of Hulk, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, Captain America, we've seen from him. Um, yeah, go yeah. Full, I mean, the, other, the, other, the next one. Exactly. The other, yeah, the other sort of you know, sort of bedrock of Marvel's sixties uh, wonders, Steve Ditko. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange. Yeah, 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 maybe pay a bit of homage. I mean, I haven't, I haven't read anywhere that they're the the next ones that's coming, but uh, it'd be be nice to see some couple of, at least a couple of times a year this sort of thing coming out. And I don't know whether it's the precursor to us form forming walking away from the monthly comic and following the the European model in a way, you know. Um, maybe well, keeping up with you know, digital. everything you read says this is the first collaboration between Marvel Arts and Abrams Arts. So I'm presuming that there are other big glossy albums come in and i'm looking forward yeah I, I don't know what it's going to be i've got no idea but yeah i'm looking forward to them yeah exactly now okay now let's mention the new monthly um alex, okay alex ross does the cover to it very much in the style of this book so this book came out i'm going to say three months ago the most i'm going to say um right but spectacular cover by ross amazing cover by ross um drawn in exactly the same way that he draws the interiors for this um yeah and then the book itself is nothing to do with the Fantastic Four. It's a date that goes a bit wrong that um, Ben Grimm and Alicia go on. Yes. Have you read it? And it's, I have read it. I yeah. don't I don't 
dislike it quite as much as you do, Tony. <laughs> I do think I do think it's a terrible misstep for the first issue of Fantastic yeah. Four, New Fantastic Four. I think the first issue for the Fantastic Four, you've got to have something as broad a canvas and a scale as Ross, you know, deals with here. Um, and having um, Ben and Alicia get stuck in a small town in a time loop. Yeah. And I don't know what it was, something to do with, maybe something to do with the world pandemic, but time loops have had a real sort of thing in the last couple of years. There's okay. been, a, you know, yeah. there's been about three movies on Netflix about people stuck in time loops. Oh, they haven't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's a time loop comic. Now, if you tuck this one in as a sort of fill-in issue... Valentine's Day 10, special is what I said. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Valentine's Day special. Ben and Alicia are on a date that goes wrong because of a time loop. That would be fine. But for the first issue of the Fantastic Four, and Reed and Johnny and Sue are nowhere to be seen. And <laughs> yeah. I thought... This is an odd choice, well, you know. Yeah, and, and the, then at the, the, end, oddest, the oddest choice being the first two pages being the same. Yes, you know, repeat the pages. Why? And then and then at the very end, the last page, right, too many spoilers, sort of hints that there's something big going on uh, back in New York. Yeah. But I would have thought you started with the big thing in New York and then for the fact, you know, as you say, for the February Valentine's Day issue, you do Ben and Alicia on a date um, yeah. where they get stuck in a time loop and have to do the thing that unlocks the time loop. It's a really um, weird one because yeah. I'm, I'm, as well as being on the ACP Slack, everyone come and join, it's good fun on there. Um, I'm on the 11 o'clock one and it was almost completely slammed by everyone on that. So what, what are they doing? And it was there that I learned that the first four issues are going to focus on a different member of the team. Well, in these days of, you know, comic series being lucky to reach 20 issues, that's four months done already, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, okay. It's called The Fantastic I mean, Four, you know? If I'd known that they were going to spend an issue on each of the four to begin with, then I might have been slightly more favourable. I just yeah. thought it was an odd choice. I didn't, I mean, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was a strange opening issue for The Fantastic Four. Yeah. You want the you want Marvel's first family dealing with some huge thing. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to still read it. Go. I'm going to read it on the app. I've I've dropped it as a monthly buy. Right. Um, but I'm going to read it on the app. I think it's fair enough for me. Um, okay. Pretty much first time I've dropped the FF actually for a long time, Ooh. forever really. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Um, okay, cool. Thanks, that man. I'm glad we did that one. That was nice. It was nice to do it with you as well because we'd obviously had that meeting of minds around 51, which was nice as well. Um, but one of um, the greatest single issue comics in the history of the world. Yeah, yeah. With the definitely. best splash page opening piece of artwork ever, and uh, yeah, seared on young Tony's mind. <laughs> and you very luckily because we did that episode, and then you surprised me by saying, oh, "I've got this bit of audio as well." And you'd actually chatted to the guy who owned the page as well, didn't you? I did, yes. I, I spoke to a guy who uh, he doesn't own it now, I can't, oh, but okay. he did own the page for a while. Um, yeah, and I spoke to him, and that is on the Mega City Book Club feed. You can find that. And the story of how he won it in an auction is quite exciting. Yeah, you know, isn't it just? Yeah. yeah, it really yeah. is. Cool, if I had that money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. I, I don't think we can afford to buy um, anything by Mr. Ross, sadly. No, uh, we can't. We'd have to sell both our houses. Um, <laughs> we'd have to sell your Master of Kung Fu issue one that's in a slab. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cunning experiment that I was going to do because I thought the movie would be amazing and uh, 
and uh, yeah. yeah, the um, so I've checked out some of the pages. So recent OA sales, he did a Batman cover, quite a famous one, which is a close up on the Batman face. Like you say, it looks like an actor in a mask, and that's um, that sold for a hundred and two thousand um, dollars. Oh. Yeah, an Iron Man cover, and was, I bid a hundred and one. There you go. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> Iron Man cover for fifty k, um, a Green Hornet cover for fifteen k. Um, Immortal Hulk cover for 15k, more, more in my price range, <laughs> and a cap cover which has got a US flag in it, which sold for 40k. So he does well, right? He doesn't do badly, this okay. dude, does he? Let's face it, yeah, good no, stuff. he does all right. I think he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah, um, and I just have to say that he was, was oh, mate, sorry, well, I was gonna say that astonishing news that he was what 24 when he did Marvels, and you think incredible, isn't it? Bloody hell, yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, he's younger than us as well. He's not like an old dude or anything. Yeah, he's no. um, and an incredibly nice dude from what I can see. All the interviews yeah. I've seen with him, super nice, super fanboy. Um, I think what he said is his favourite FF issue was FF Annual 11, where they go and meet the invaders. How cool is that? You know, just because That's... he read it when he was a, he was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, you, you, the one you discover as a kid often sticks with you doesn't it Don't yeah. just yeah it, can't, it uh, isn't necessarily the best thing ever but sometimes it does too yeah, yeah 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 good well over to you man so um what's going on with you so as i understand it we, we had a drink and draw on friday and we were talking about how you're probably going to open up for submissions for dui3 in the new year is that still the plan yep that's the plan uh dui comic three at gmail.com so the third issue of the Drawn Under the Influence ACP comics anthology will appear sometime in the middle of 23 Um, it will again be raising money for a charity although this time we're going to sort of take suggestions from the contributors as to what charity we go for because we've done a nice idea yeah it is we've done a year of refuge uh, with um Sarah, we've done a year of Cancer Research UK. I mean, between us, we've raised £2,000, which has actually gone to the charities, um, you know, which is a good that thing. Great. That's um, great, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, yeah. And, and there's a yeah, real sense of community January, around it as well, isn't there? It's nice to see. Um, it is. And it's nice to get a comic, you know, to get a comic anthology, to get people doing their <laughs> contributions for free and to get it out. Um, seems, and we'll seems like an impossible task these days, but you've done it. Well, yeah. it, strangely <laughs> enough, yes, charity, you know, lockdown charity anthologies seem to be... We've done two. Um, <laughs> we've done two, <laughs> exactly. We've put out two. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yes, there will be a third issue of DUI in 2023, and yes, we are open for submissions. Um, you can start sending me stuff to duicomic3 at gmail.com. Uh, or just get in touch with me through Twitter or through the Slack or through Tony or whatever. Um, and we'll start looking at stuff in January and start vaguely putting together the idea of what it's going to look like. Still looking at the same um, format, the sort of magazine size, maybe it, one to three pages lengthwise? Yeah, well, one to five pages is the maximum. Okay. Um, yeah. No more than five pages. Obviously, you know, if you can manage it in one, two or three pages, so much the better because then we can fit in more creators. Yeah. But yeah, send us pitches, send us scripts, send us ideas, and we'll start looking at them in the new year. We'll, you know, we're, obviously Christmas is barreling down upon us. And then in January, yeah. um, after you've been to Jane's uh, New Year's Day party, oh, it's going to be a cracker. We'll be, It'll be a cracker. We'll be ready to start looking at submissions and thinking about the third one. But yeah, and, I'm gonna, and a couple I'm of caveats for the third one. A couple of caveats. Be, a couple of caveats being that um, 
can't be stuff you've submitted elsewhere it has to be new and also it shouldn't really be part of another ongoing story um yeah i mean if you want to kick off your new characters in dui3 great um we prefer new stuff and um ideally it shouldn't be any sort of you can't really do any other licensed characters or properties yeah, yeah. um we sort of did one in dui2 but we don't talk about it they haven't noticed so. <laughs> yeah no transformers yeah we don't no, no transformers no something stuff yeah um yeah but uh, if you're interested in being in a comic that's actually going to come out next year in the middle of 23 and he's going to raise some money for a good cause as well then yeah get in touch with us yep. send us some ideas we'll be we'll be having a look at pitches in the new year and if you're interested there's a slack community for it we have a slack group for the acp and there's a channel in there just for dui um so yep. send me a message and i can add you to the slack and you can come and, and come and stop chatting and stuff like that copies are still available we've still got a few copies left haven't you Eamon? still got a box of uh copies of issue two so if yep. you want a hard copy uh, go to duicomic.bigcartel.com duicomic.bigcartel.com Real. I'm messing it all up at the end here Tony no that's that's good man no that's fine that's good Um, yeah so do that please buy a copy if I have to say if you submit a story and you haven't bought a copy a copy will be looking down on you and wondering why not Um, but you can buy his glasses will go to the end of his nose and he'll look over them I'll give you a Paddington stare but the um, you can also um, buy uh, digital copies which are just three pounds is it three pounds for both I can't remember three pounds each isn't it yeah three pounds and you get both you get DUI1 and DUI2 or if you're a subscriber to um, Comic Comic House yep Netflix for comics you can find DUI1 on there and then DUI2 will eventually turn up on Comic House probably next year, probably Brilliant. 2023. Yeah, that's a good way to start, it, isn't it? When we start, yeah, work we start on working one. on three. Yeah. yeah, good stuff, man. And also, um, the book club's on fire at the moment. Um, I just had to listen to you. I just had had a listen of you and uh, Mr. Robertson talking this weekend. What what you got coming up, man? Uh, so we've got a couple of episodes coming up about Alan Grant. Right, so nice. A, um, yeah. Judge Anderson, Shambhala... Uh, episode coming out next Sunday and we talk quite a lot about Alan Grant in that I'm hoping that Gordon Rennie uh, 2000 AD writer is going to come on and talk about the bogeyman and again talk about okay. Alan Grant um, I know that he's done some an Alan Grant uh, tribute piece for the Christmas issue of 2000 AD oh nice oh, so, cool. um, and then also I've got Again, I've sort of moved around the waiting list a bit because, uh, for obvious reasons, we bumped up the episode about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and right. Kevin O'Neill. So we're going to do a bit of a, a deep dive into Kevin O'Neill's career and uh, take a moment um, to, you know, pay tribute to him to to an absolute, you know, groundbreaking artist. Uh, so original um, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Un- or unlike anybody else, yeah. you know, really just um, out there on his own doing weird stuff and, you know, the uh, the scarred for life people on Twitter who said Hieronymus Bosch for kids, which yeah, is a great we description. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've, got, I've got sort of a connection to, to him. I, I One of the characters in Nemesis is based on someone I knew and... Um, right. Yeah, it, it, I'll never forget those pages, man. What what an amazing, amazing thing that that comic was. People don't realise. Yeah. Um, 
a, a comic that's basically nothing is the shape of anything you've seen there before you know yeah. for whole issues you know yeah um, have you listened to the audio book for that yet uh no i'm getting the nemesis one for christmas i listened to the shambhala one for the um right for alan grant and arthur anson so but yeah the, the nemesis one will be next up on the audible list ah it's great it's got um the abc warriors in it as well right oh it's so it's good. great yeah and keith allen plays Torquemada in it there you go perfect He's a maniac casting. yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 good who are you thinking who are you doing the league the league episode with can you say or uh i it's a, a chap called Jake Eblin. He's been on the show before. Oh, cool. Um, he's just, you know, just a huge fan. So, um, um, you know, I thought, let, let's get him up the list so that we can talk about Kev. Brilliant. Um, because, you know, I mean, this year, what, we've lost Alan Grant, we lost Gary Leach, we've lost uh, Kevin O'Neill. George Perez, um, Neil Adams. George Perez, Neil Adams. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. The, the mighty have fallen this year, unfortunately. Really, um, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just hoping that you know. Yeah. What's his name? Ross North. Hope he's alright. Ryan right. North. Yeah, I hope he's okay. Ryan North. Okay, yeah, he's okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. That's okay. Sorry, Mister. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're only caring for you. Um, yeah. Good. And the other thing I was going to ask you about is we've got a Eastern contingent meetup. Is that right? Yeah. If you're listening to this when in the week this comes out, Saturday the third of December, one p.m in Cambridge City Centre in the Grain and Hop Store pub. Is that the place we went upstairs. to before at that time? Yeah, that's where okay. we were before. Um, yep. uh, the Eastern Contingent um, is meeting up and having a few drinks, a few scoops, as we'd say. <laughs> um, it is entirely open to anybody. Yep. You don't have to pass any sort of 2000 AD written exam or oral exam um, to join in. You know, just come along. Find the guys wearing the T-shirts with the 2000 AD patches on it. They'll be us. Um, yeah. If you turn up, you'll be given a 2000 AD um, patch for free yeah, to sew on your own T-shirt. When you're, yeah. yeah, you are. Um, you don't have to wear a collar and tie, although Tony did, did. last year. Yeah. You dressed you up, didn't you? Yeah. yeah very smart. Yeah. So, yeah, this Saturday, 1 p.m., the trains are running. Um, so yeah, if you can get along to Cambridge, come and meet up with a bunch of comic book fans and just have a jar or two. Yeah, um, a bit of a nerd talk, about yeah, talk about comics. Yeah, exactly. Good, good company, man. Yeah. yeah, I love talking about comics. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. And where can we find you on the socials? Uh, find me at megacitybookclub.com. Find me on Twitter um, while it's still there at MCBC Podcast. And email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you want to come on the book club and talk about a book. And uh, there's a mastodon and a hive. Where are you on a hive? Uh, yeah. I, uh, you're on tr- I don't know. Truth Social, I believe you're on. <laughs> I'm on Park Life. <laughs> Someone that we need to start that, man. Yeah, well, I'm on the new social media platform that all the people are going to, Park Life. Park Life. Yeah, all the people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah especially the pigeons. Right, yeah. good. Nice one, man. And um, we'll we'll have a chat again in a second. But uh, thanks, man. That's a really good one. Cheers, Tony. Cheers, mate.